Today's episode of The Mailroom is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score some last minute tickets. Live from Studio Nowhere. This is the Athletics Mailroom Podcast. Now here's your host, Amy Parlapiano. Hey everybody, I'm Amy Parlapiano and welcome back to The Mailroom, the podcast where we ask our own subscribers questions to a different guest each week. This week, our guest is a national NFL reporter here at The Athletic and my co-host on our NFL Power Rankings podcast, it's Lindsay Jones. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I swear we I know, won't argue we're... about Power Rankings this week. Yeah, we will try. We were just saying people are going to be tired of the two of us because we are on a lot of podcasts together. So here we are again. Um, okay, so I'm just going to get right into this because we had a lot of subscribers ask a lot of good questions. So I want to try to get to as many of them as we can. So on our other podcast earlier this week, you and I were talking about the Redskins and the Dolphins and how that game is going to be terrible and how you're going to be watching, which I'm still expecting you to text me updates from that. Um, but we have a couple questions surrounding those two teams in particular. And one of them is from William C who says, dear Lindsay, can the league ever step in and involve itself in a team's affairs if the owner is acting contrary to the league's and a fan base's interests? In case it's not obvious, I'm thinking about the Redskins and the Dolphins. Well, thanks. That's an interesting question. And I went back and I did um, I did some research because this has not happened in the NFL, although it is not uncommon in professional sports for um, a league to step in and either completely take over ownership, or at least step in and provide oversight. Um, There are not examples of this happening in the NFL, but kind of the relevant examples that we've seen in other sports recently, it's uh, when the Major League Baseball uh, stepped in, took over control of the Dodgers from Frank McCourt, when McCourt kind of led the Dodgers um, into bankruptcy a couple years ago, that eventually led to the sale. This also happened with the Coyotes in the NHL and the Hornets in the NBA back when they were still in New Orleans. Those were the most extreme examples of the Coyotes and the Hornets where the NHL and the NBA actually bought out those franchises when they had gone into bankruptcy. Um, the difference here with all of these examples, um, you know, it also happened, like I mentioned, the Dodgers also happened with the, the Texas Rangers. These were teams that are franchises that were in bankruptcy, that were struggling financially. That is not the case for any of these NFL teams right now, and certainly not for the Washington Redskins. In the most recent Forbes evaluation or valuations of um, NFL franchises, uh, Washington's actually seventh valued at $3.4 billion with a revenue of nearly $500 million um, in the most recent year. So this is not a team that is struggling financially, even though they are struggling to fill their stadium. Um, you know, I think that they're, they're, they're 
their business image is certainly taking a hit right now, but there's not precedent for an NFL team or the NFL as a league to kind of step in. Um, I think the one situation where we might have seen something like that was back in 2017 when um, Jerry Richardson, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, uh, kind of it was there was a Sports Illustrated story where it came out that he had kind of engaged in you know significant repeated uh, inappropriate behavior in the workplace, both sexual misconduct and um, kind of racist language and stuff that he used with team employees. He immediately put the team up for sale. Had Richardson not put the team up for sale, it would have been interesting to see if the NFL would have gotten involved on a more significant level. But you know, unfortunately, I think for for our for our um, questioner here right now is that there's not precedent for this happening in NFL, you know, and I I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I think team, the the league really wants their owners to uh, operate autonomously. And as long as they're making money and they're making money for the league at large, then I think the league's going to be okay with it. So sorry, there's not a great, uh, a great answer (laughs) for you if you were hoping to get new ownership right away in Washington. Yeah. It's tough because I feel like as you meant, like the examples that you mentioned are all kind of incidents that have happened that go beyond the actual football field. And I feel like here in terms of the reasons why a lot of people are really frustrated with the with the Redskins and with the Dolphins tanking is like stuff that's related to organizational incompetence, um, which is a little bit harder to kind of intervene on. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is not the league stepping into ownership and taking over control of a team, but I think we are going to see discussions um, next off season, especially at the, at all of the league meetings. There is a, there is a first league meeting of this fall. That's going to be happening, I believe next week down in South Florida, but the big league meetings where the competition committee is putting together all of their proposals and stuff, they will be talking about tanking because this year, the gap between the mediocre teams and the bad teams is, especially large right now. So they are going to talk about it. I just don't know exactly what they're, what sort of solutions that they're going to be able to come up, come up with. Cause I don't think it's, you know, creating a lottery system. I don't think that's something that would work in the NFL. You know, I, you know, if there's additional penalties they could take for teams that are clearly tanking, if it's fines or, you know, those sorts of you know, losing draft picks. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it is something that they're going to talk about, but that's different than the league stepping in and taking over ownership. Right. And so staying on the topic of Washington, um, John S. has another question about that. And he says, Dear Lindsay, if the team you've rooted for your entire life, almost three decades, continually displays that they don't know how to get out of their own way, is it okay to jump ship? I just want to enjoy NFL football again. And that dysfunction in D.C. does not let me. Hope you don't mind playing therapist, Lindsay. So, so John, I feel for you. I really do. And (laughs) I do think it is okay um, to switch fandoms. I know that there's probably some people out there who say that is blasphemy and you should never give up on the team that you have rooted for your entire life. Um, I don't think you should just jump ship willy nilly, you know, don't hop from one fan base to another, you know, nobody likes a front runner. Um, but I think there's this couple things that are going to be important to consider if you're considering, uh, abandoning the Washington Redskins or any other team for that matter. Um, and I think the biggest thing is, is how is the franchise run? Is the team, uh, embarrassing? Are they trying to win? Um, and I think when you look at Washington right now, I don't think they're trying very hard to win. And I think they're embarrassing themselves and their fans on a very routine basis. So, you know, I don't think 
I would fault any Redskins fan right now, no matter how long you've been a fan. You know, if you were, you know, you were alive in the 70s and 80s and you remember, you know, the, the Super Bowls and, you know, the, the the really good days. You know, I still think it's probably okay because this franchise is so poorly run and they're doing such a disservice to their fans. You know, I will say there's something about, you know, rooting for a team that's kind of, a, you know, the lovable losers, you know, like, you know, Cubs, long suffering Cubs fans and how sweet it was for those people when they won. Um, or, you know, my husband is a, is from St. Louis. He was a long, you know, love the St. Louis blues and how just satisfying it was to see the blues finally win this summer. But those are teams that I think, you know, there, there's reasons to root for them and they've been fun to watch. There's, um, you know, a lot of redeeming qualities about some of these teams that have still struggled. And right now, I don't think there's a ton of redeeming qualities about Washington. So I think there's some things you should consider when you're changing teams and you're looking for a new, a new team. Um, you know, I think you should consider geography. If you have any family ties, if you were depending on where you went to college, if you had a favorite college player. I think it is totally fine to follow your favorite college player to his new NFL team and become a fan of that team and let that be your entree. I think the one important thing is, is that you can't choose a front runner. You can't just bail on Washington right now and decide that you're going to be a Patriots fan. Um, so other than that, I think everything else generally is on the table and Washington has not done enough to keep your fandom. And if they lose you as a fan, it's their own fault. Yes. We actually talked about something similar last week with shield. Um, someone asked, I was a Bengals fan last week who said he like finally has to throw in the towel. It's been too much suffering and he needed a new team. And so we were trying to figure out, we were giving some advice about who a good new team would be. Um, I think we decided on either the Panthers or the chargers, just a suggestion. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I thought I, I, I agree with that. I just, I think the most important thing if you're choosing a new, a a new team is to have a, is you need to have some sort of tie there, whether that's your favorite player, or was it a guy who carries you to your fantasy championship um, a couple years ago? Was it, like I said, somehow was tied to your college team? Was it, um, you know, your favorite city to visit and you can, you know, pick up a new hat or something. I think you just need to have some sort of emotional tie to it. Yeah. Um, And, and in that case, go for it. Yeah, I agree with that. And, uh, like if you live in it, like if your childhood team that you've been rooting for forever is one team and you live somewhere else now, you could pick up with that team. You know, there are a lot of options. I'm, I agree. I'm not against abandoning ship if the situation calls for it, which I feel like in this case, the ownership's just so bad that I, I don't think anyone would blame you, John, for, for leaving them behind. Um, okay. So now to talk about like some more upbeat of some actually successful teams so far. Um, Alexander W wants to know, dear Lindsay, who is your favorite for coach of the year after five weeks of the season? There are quite a few candidates here. So I'm interested to hear what you think. Yeah, I think there are a lot of candidates. You're right. Um, I have two clear front runners right now. Um, the first one is Kyle Shanahan with the San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers. Um, Niners are undefeated and a big reason why they're undefeated is because of Shanahan's coaching. You know, I think there's a lot of things that have gone right so far for the Niners. It's, it's been fun to watch kind of this, this plan come to fruition where it's a combination of drafting, um, free agent additions, the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, the, the clear desire to add a lot of speed to their offense. And that's just really showing right now. But what we're also seeing is just how good of a coach Kyle Shanahan is and how good of a play caller he is, his insane play design, um, his play calling, especially with their running game. I mean, we all watched the Monday night game against the Browns and that was a coaching clinic 
put on by Kyle Shanahan and not so much by Freddie Kitchens. And it just shows you um, why Kyle Shanahan was such a desired head coaching candidate a couple years ago. Um, and what's really been fun to watch too, is that I think early in his career, he got, you know, you know, look, he probably got some jo- his first jobs because of nepotism, you know, by being Mike Shanahan's son and that he kind of I think there's still some idea that, oh, he just runs his dad's offense. And while, yes, the foundations are kind of the same of the, the this West Coast system that Mike Shanahan ran for so many years, you know, dating back when he was an assistant coach and then certainly all of his, you know, his decade and a half or so with the Broncos. But Kyle has added so many new wrinkles to it. And, you know, I think he's long been respected as an offensive mind. And now we're really seeing it and seeing what he can do when he has a complete roster, a healthy quarterback. And, uh, you know, just the speed is just really, really fun to watch and having so many good fast players. Um, So that's why I'm putting Kyle Shanahan as my number one. And my number two, um, and I think it would be really, really close here right now is Frank Reich with the Colts. And, you know, he also put on a, a coaching clinic in week five, the, the way the game that he game plan he put together, helping the Colts beat the uh, beat the Chiefs on Sunday night was amazing. I also loved his decision making his aggressiveness, knowing when his team needed to go for it when when not to go for it. Um, just the, the game plan they put a, put together and slowing down Mahomes and Kelsey really relying on their offensive defensive lines. Um, and that's not even really mentioning that they lost their starting quarterback at the end of the preseason. I mean, it was late August. And I think there's a lot of coaches who would just kind of write off the season when they've lost their starting quarterback like that. And the Colts, in large part, also because of Chris Ballard, who deserves a ton of credit here for building this type of roster. But Frank Reich held that team together when Andrew Luck abruptly retired and made sure that they weren't going to tank. He made sure that Jacoby Brissett was prepared. And, you know, he he has the Colts right in contention right now. I mean, you know, I don't think any of us in late August were thinking that they were going to be a favorite to you know, win the AFC South. And they certainly are right in that conversation right now. And we'll learn a little bit more in coming weeks. They've got some really big games, you know, especially division games against the Texans coming up. Um, but you have to really love what Frank Reich has done Um last year and this year as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Frank Reich is definitely toward the top of my list. The other guy I would put on there that you didn't mention, uh, personally, I think Sean Payton, at least for now, to have the Saints at 4-1. Yes, yes. Losing Drew Brees, kind of a similar, obviously not the same long-term ramifications of losing Andrew Luck completely, but, you know, he lost Drew Brees. Everyone kind of thought they were going to struggle. Their schedule has not been easy. They've played, they started against the Texans and the Rams. They, they lost, and then and Seahawks, Cowboys, and Bucks. That's a challenging schedule. And they've played these games in different ways. Peyton kind of keeps evolving the, the game plan to what's going to work for them against that team and for Teddy Bridgewater. And it's worked really well. And they look really they we have them at number two in power rankings this week. So, you know, they are um they're an elite team just like we thought they would be coming in, and they haven't let the injury to Breeze really affect that. So I'd put him up there with the two guys that you mentioned as well. Yeah, I think that's, he's really, really, he deserves to be in that conversation as well. And I think sometimes we tend to overlook the guys who have been there a long time. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we always, you know, some of Bill Belichick's probably best coaching jobs. He hasn't won coach of the year just because he does a really good job every year. But you make a really good point that this, if, if, if Sean Payton can keep the saints on this track. And once they get Drew Brees back, he certainly would, would deserve this award um, along with the other guys I mentioned. So yeah, that's a good question. And I think it'll be fun, something fun to watch over the next uh, two months or so. 
Okay, so Don Kay has... Well, actually, two people have questions for you about the Broncos that I have combined into one question. So we've got the first part of it is from Jose P., who says, Dear Lindsay, hi, one question. The Broncos have not looked as bad as their record shows. Do you see them making a push for the playoffs? (laughs) And then the second part of that is from Don Kay, and he says, Lack of depth is still a major concern for my now non-winless Broncos, especially at two key areas inside linebacker and cornerback where oh where are there some experienced players to shore up these deficits so a little bit of a two-parter there but um we've got a mention of the playoffs which was a little surprising to me i don't know how you feel about that let's see (laughs) well i I think these two questions are very typical of like what I've been hearing as I've been driving around <laughs> yeah. Denver over the last couple of days as I'm running my errands and taking my daughter to school of the types of things that I'm hearing on sports radio. Because, you know, I think throughout the preseason, there was kind of this expectation of, oh, hey, the Broncos might be good. Maybe they can make the playoffs. And I did, would do a lot of um, kind of in-market, but then also national interviews. And people would ask, like, could the Broncos make the playoffs? And I'd, I would almost always kind of like, I was definitely the Debbie Downer, I think, uh, of the of the media core who was around the Broncos a decent amount. I was always the one who was saying, ah, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. And I still still don't necessarily think they're going to be a playoff team right now. I do think Jose is right that they are not as bad as their record shows um, because you know you have to look at the way that they lost and all losses, you know, they count the same, but they're not all equal. And the fact that they, um, they lost in such close heartbreaking fashion, those two home games against the bears and the Jags. And I think what was really promising to me an important important for me to see last week, the way that they rebounded from that and won at LA was that after they lost those two games, the way that they lost them to the bears and the Jags. And then with that, with, with a game that they just weren't competitive in at Lambeau in between, you know, I thought that this was a team that was kind of on the verge of implosion. And we've seen that happen a lot. We certainly saw that that's what happened with the Raiders last year. They lost their first two or three games in really kind of devastating fashion where they had been, they'd been winning. And then, you know, the, Week two is actually they'd lost at Denver on a missed field goal at the end of the game. Um, you know, they had been beating the Rams in week one and then lost that game and, and their season imploded. And that's, you know, a team, a season can kind of just really crumble and guys start fighting with, with each other. We were seeing that with the Broncos after that Jags loss. There was a lot of arguing uh, amongst defensive players, defenses versus offensive players. I mean, there was just a lot of that going on. So I think it was very encouraging that they were able to, um, you know, kind of like m- turn inwards. Uh, look at each other, figure out what they were doing. They made some adjustments to their lineup and played really well against the Chargers. Um, as far as making the playoffs, I, you know, I think they have some winnable games. I mean, they're actually favored against the Titans this week at home. I think it's going to be kind of an emotional game. Champ Bailey will be here getting his um, Hall of Fame ring. And so, you know, I think, you know, I think there are some winnable games. And the AFC is kind of mediocre after the top couple teams. And I think we might get into that a little bit later, but I still think they're going to need to get to, you know, 10 wins or so. And I think there's a couple other teams that have a much easier path there for those wildcard spots, because look, they're not catching the chiefs in the AFC West. It's just, it's just not going to happen unless something catastrophic knock on every piece of wood in my office, something were to happen to Patrick Mahomes. They're not going to catch the Chiefs. So your your best case scenario is you're looking at a wild card and look, you go on an eight game winning streak or something. Sure. But I, I I just don't think they have the roster depth there. And that leads into the second part of this question. And depth has always been the biggest concern with this Broncos team. And, you know, 
or, or I don't remember who it was who asked, who was the name who asked this question? I can't remember. Uh, Don um, Kay. Don. Don Kay. So specifically looked at inside linebacker and cornerback. And those have been very big issues. And they're continuing to be an issue, especially at cornerback where Devontae Bosby, who had been a backup and he had replaced Isaac Yadam, who had gotten benched. You know, now he is on IR. He had the terrifying story where, you know, he was he was um, paralyzed for about half an hour in the game against the chargers after he took a hit from one of his own teammates. So he's now on IR for the next year. Nikki, Nikki Javala, our beat writer did a really good story about it. That's up right now. I think she wrote that on Tuesday. So if you want to read more about Bosby's incredibly terrifying ordeal and kind of everything that he's gone through, um, you should definitely check that story out, but they don't have a lot of depth at cornerback. Bryce Callahan was one of their big free agent signings. He's yet to play. He's probably going to be out several more weeks. Um, He certainly won't be back in time for that Chiefs game. You know, getting him back would be huge, but they're just going to need to get better play out of the cornerbacks they have. I mean, you can sign, they're signing some street free agents um, to kind of just build up some of that depth, but they don't really have it. Um, Inside linebacker is interesting because uh, AJ Johnson was the guy who ended up starting and playing pretty well last week. He had an inter- he had one interception, nearly had a second interception against the Chargers. Um, so I think what's been kind of telling and what has been interesting to watch about Vic Fangio over the last week or so is that as their depth is being tested, he's also kind of just really tinkering with the lineups and trying to figure out what the best combination of players is. He's made some changes on the defensive line. Injuries have forced some of that, but we're actually seeing a little bit better results when they're they're putting players in better positions and not just necessarily, okay, well, Adam Gotsis is our, is our best defensive end, so he's going to play, but what you really needed was another defensive tackle. So, you, you know, you activate Mike Purcell, a guy who hasn't played all year. You know, he's been... Um, you know, down on game days. And it made a huge difference. So I still think the depth is going to be an issue there. You know, they've already lost Bradley Chubb. That's going to be, you know, a big loss long-term, I think for them as as they go through this entire season. Um, So they're, you know, a a key injury or two away probably from disaster. Um, But, you know, I think that, I think that they're getting better, but um, playoffs, Probably not going to happen. Sorry, Jose. Still a little bit far off. And their schedules that you saw their favorite against the Titans, and then they have two games against the Chiefs and the Colts, uh, which will probably it was going to be difficult. So we'll see how they do. It'll be. It, it was kind of nice to see them actually get a win and maybe potentially have a chance to to show the team that I think a lot of people expected was going to be a better team this year that we didn't get to see so much of at the beginning of the season. So we'll see how that progresses. Um, you mentioned the AFC kind of being a mess right now. Lindsay. Um, we have two clear favorites at the top, uh, Patriots and the Chiefs, obviously. And so Daniel W. wants to know, dear Lindsay, who has emerged as the third best team in the AFC? I have two in mind, but I'm curious to hear what you think, Lindsay. Yeah, I think um, I think where we're at right now, the the two options there are either the Bills the Buffalo yep. Bills, the four and one Bills, um, or the Indianapolis Colts. Yep, and those are my two. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that's changing kind of week to week. I think if you would have asked me two weeks ago, I probably still would have put. Um, well, probably before they lost to the Browns, I think you could have put the Ravens and the Browns in those in that conversation. I think now those guys are definitely out of the conversation yeah. for the third best team. I think the Chargers could have made a case a couple weeks ago. I think now they have to be out of that conversation. So it's almost like we're saying the Bills and the Colts by default. Um, but I, I think they are, you know, just in terms of roster wise, I think the Bills have a legitimately scary defense and that's going to keep them in just about every game that they play in. And 
you know, their offense can be really good. They can also be uh, disastrous. Josh Allen is just that inconsistent. But, you know, I think that their their schedule is very favorable and they're going to be, I think they can win 10 games and that will get them into the wild card. Um, and then I think the Colts, when they play up to their potential, like we saw them on Sunday night, I think they can be really, really good. Um, I guess I would throw one more additional team in there, and that's the Houston Texans, where we've we when they're playing really well, like they did last week in week five against the Falcons, when they're off because their offense can be as good as any offense in the league. Um, and we just don't see that consistency week to week in large part because of the pass protection. So those are the three teams that I'd put in there. Um, I'd probably put them in that order right now. I'd say I'd go Bills, Colts, Texans. Uh, but I think any three of those teams, um, honestly, I think all three of those teams will probably end up being in the playoffs. It's just going to be which of the Colts and uh, between the Colts and the Texans will be the division winner and which will be a wild card. The Texans are one I kind of always not necessarily forget about in that conversation, but it's just, we've talked about this before, Lindsay, of just when, especially when we're like filling out power rankings and you feel like we're just staring at the sheet, not knowing exactly what to make of the teams. That's kind of how I feel about the Texans because one week they look really, really good. And then the, the week before they, you know, had a ton of problems and looked really bad. So I'm still trying to figure out exactly how good they are. Um, but I agree that I think right now it's the Bills and the Colts and it kind of hurt back to what you were saying earlier about Frank Reich is I just believe that the Colts are going to continue to find success because they're really well coached and like they're the organization that they have in place there. Uh, they have the right people there. So I think that they can continue to succeed. So I'm, uh, I'm interested to keep it. The Colts have been a fun one this year to watch and that game against the chiefs, they played great. So, um, Okay, so we're going to talk about something else now, a little bit different. Brian M. had a question about kind of it relates to the really scary hit that was leveled on to Mason Rudolph on Sunday, a really, really scary and horrible moment of uh, he was knocked out. And uh, you could see of his teammates, especially Juju Smith-Schuster, really, really emotional, kind of crumpled to the ground seeing it. Um, so Brian M. asks... Dear Lindsay, have you ever heard of any studies into what padding the exterior of helmets might do as far as when impact in opponents' heads, faces, jaws, hands, etc.? Those things are like heavy, hard armor these days and do a lot of damage. See Mason Rudolph most recently, but many others before that. So this is a really interesting question. Um, and last year, about this time last year, I actually did a lot of research into helmet technology and the new and kind of in, the new innovations that uh, um PhD PhDs were working on um, sport sport sporting apparel companies were working on, um, and there's not a lot of that in in the NFL space at least. You know, I went through all of the the winners of the head health challenges. Um, the, there's these kind of like Shark Tank, but for um, for football, there there was not anything about the exterior of the helmets. Um, there are products out there that exist. They're basically like caps, like a swim cap that will go over the helmet that is then padded. Um, it kind of looks like actually the the. I guess they're not helmets is not the right word, but what like you soccer players will wear kind of the, the headgear that have the okay. protections. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are products that you can make to put over um, a football helmet. They've been fairly controversial though. And that the, the, the studies don't necessarily back it up. Um, they were actually you know, a couple of years ago. Um, it's, it's called Noxie or the, they pronounce it Noxie, but it's the organization that, uh, 
tests and then rates ha- uh, helmets. You probably heard that word Noxie a bunch back in August when we were talking about Antonio Brown's helmet and whether or not it would meet the testing standards. Um, but so it's, it's N-O-C-S-A-E, uh, Noxie. It's the standards for testing of, at, at all levels from high school through NFL helmets. Um, and these kind of uh, caps do not meet the, the Noxie standards. Um, and it's similar. So, you know, I'm a mom, parents out here can probably relate. It's like with a child's uh, car seat and, you know, they're all tested and they meet all these standards. But anytime you add something else to it, that's like an aftermarket device. So with car seats, it's always like if you were to add like a liner or extra padding or blankets and stuff that kind of go inside the, the car seat, it invalidates all of the testing and the warranties and all that stuff. It's similar with all of these kind of exterior paddings. So right now it's not adding exterior padding. I think all of the innovation needs to be with kind of rethinking the entire way that helmets are being built. And so so much of the NFL's focus is on removing the helmet as a weapon. And I think that they are, are resistant from any sort of kind of exterior padding because that would make players feel like it is safer to then use that as a weapon. Um, I do get the the idea or the idea of wanting that to be safer because we do see injuries all the time where, you know, those helmets are so hard, you know, a lot of, and it's not just when we see something like Earl Thomas's helmet making contact with a face mask, but it's, you know, it's also things like quarterbacks hurting their hands when they're hit on, you know, when they, when they're smacked on a helmet um, that happens all the time, you know, dislocated fingers and broken hands and those sorts of things. Um, I just, I don't think that's where the research and the technology is going in the helmet space right now. I think the things that they're really working on are position specific helmets and then all everything that goes inside in, into the interior of helmets, really rethinking the way that helmets are built from, um, from scratch. And I think there are some sorts of like interior liners and stuff that are, that are being considered and, figuring out how safe they are. Um, but then, but it's not about the exterior of the helmets at this point. Um, and I think the other thing that anytime we talk about helmet safety and helmet technology is that there's no one piece of equipment that is going to protect or prevent concussions and all head injuries. It's really just right now, they're just trying to figure out ways to make them as safe as possible. But we just, we can't ever assume that there's going to be any sort of product, whether it's an aftermarket, you know, helmet cap, to, or to, you know, a whole new kind of the interior of the lining that will eliminate concussions and make this sport, um, ever completely safe. Yeah. And you wrote about this, you mentioned, um, and it was about last year and last November, you wrote about the future of football helmets and how it's driven by uh, almost a startup culture, um, what you had seen and the kind of innovation that's going into it. So I'll be curious to see how that continues and how often, do you have an idea of how often they're updating the current helmets or is it like a an yeah. annual update or what, what do they consider when they, when they do that? Well, so there, are, I mean, I think there's constantly new helmets. I don't have the exact number right in front of me. I, I, I will definitely go back and look up the exact number here if we want to do a follow-up at some point, but, um, so there, the thing about helmet technology was that forever they were basically the same. Um, and one of the guys I talked to in that story was a, a former NFL player named Sean Springs, whose father played in the NFL. And I think Sean's last season was kind of in the the, the late 2000s, um, was, was the last year that he played. And he thought it was so notable that the helmet that he wore, you know, when he was playing in the 2000s was almost identical to the helmet that his father wore when he was playing in the 80s with very little changes. Um, so what we've seen, though, is in 
basically in the last decade, we've seen rapid transformation in, in the entire way that helmets are built. And that's why this whole thing with Antonio Brown and his helmet was, to me, it felt so silly because, you know, he was trying to wear a helmet from, I believe it was from 2008, but we have seen such rapid development um, and changes. So they were trying to phase out all of those last helmets. Um, and there were a lot of new helmets that, are, that were introduced to the market just this year um, for 2019 that all passed all of um, the NFL and the NFLPA's testing standards. So we are seeing a lot, a lot of rapid development. And I think, you know, the, the helmets that guys are going to be wearing, like the guys that are in high school right now, um, so what they're going to be wearing when they're in the NFL in, you know, seven, five to seven years is going to be so remarkably different than the helmets that the guys are wearing even today. So it's, it's changing really, really quickly. And it's definitely something that I'm interested to follow. Um, I know that the, the league's investing a lot of time and money into it, but then also we're just, we're just getting so much, so much more science um, involved in it. You know, it was forever. It was just, you know, Riddell and Shutt that were kind of doing all of the they were the only people doing helmets. And now we're getting a lot of doctors and scientists and engineers involved and we're seeing significant changes. Yeah. I mean, the only thing you can hope for with the situation as bad of a situation as we saw with Mason Rudolph is that it only kind of inspires more and more and more research and continued kind of scientific growth over how to, how to keep improving. Um, but as you said, I mean, the crux of it is I don't think there's ever going to be a solution to concussions with it, no matter how great and strong the helmets can be. That's just kind of the nature of the game. Um, okay. So we're going to wrap up here, but I have one final question for you, Lindsay, that is from me, uh, not a subscriber. It's, I, I, I cheated and wrote my own. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about, I'm lucky enough to uh, get a lot of updates about your wonderful daughter. Um, and I wanted to ask you, A, Halloween is coming up. Want to know about if there are any costume plans going on there. And B, um, just kind of the nature of this job, a lot of travel going on, a lot of, I know also you... But also at the same time, you're kind of writing a lot from home sometimes. And so that creates an interesting, a bit of a different balance than other jobs when it comes to motherhood and, um, and your daughter. So I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience with that and kind of how you balance and how you manage uh, that work life structure. All right. Well, thank you, Amy P for the question. <laughs> um, and it's something I talk to college classes a lot. Um, I actually spoke to, uh, the a chapter from West Virginia university or university of West Virginia. I'm going to get it totally wrong. They're going to be so mad at me, um, earlier this week via Skype. Um, and it was one of the things that we talked about a little bit because, um, you know, earlier in my career, when I was kind of a, a young sports writer covering high schools in South Florida, or, you know, and then earlier in my my kind of career covering the NFL when I was in my late twenties, I knew that I wanted to get married. I knew that I wanted to be a mom. It was just hard to like, see how that was going to work in this job because the hours are very weird. Um, you do, there is a lot of travel involved and, you know, I just didn't see it as much. Um, just the, the newsrooms that I worked in when I was at the Denver post, I was the, uh, I was at the time, I was the only female sports writer on our staff. We had, there were a couple of women on the editing staff, but no women kind of in a beat writing role. When I was at USA Today from 2012 to last year, I was really lucky to be part of one of the most gender diverse staffs in the NFL. I mean, it was, it was awesome to kind of open up the paper and see, share, you know, I would share the front page with multiple women. We would have, you know, three or, you know, three or four female bylines on the paper. The one thing that was kind of notable there was that there were no moms on staff though. So I didn't have kind of these, I didn't have peers, you know, direct peers that I could kind of talk to about, 
um, you know, just how it worked, you know, what maternity leave would look like, how you balance, you know, NFL travel and, um, pumping breast milk and press boxes and stuff. And, you know, and I, I was lucky to find some friends who had been through this. Aditi Kinkawala from NFL Network who was super helpful. Um, there's other women who work in NFL, um, like in NFL PR, who were super helpful. Um, there's a woman named Joanna Hunter who worked in the league office and now works for the LA Rams, who was, who was really helpful just about kind of from like, you know, league, pro- league protocols about kind of handle like you're in this press box here's how you handle it she she set me up with a my own kind of private lactation room at the super bowl in houston a couple years ago which was amazing um uh, i actually have this sign it says lactation room with like super bowl logo on it i took it with me and it's in it's in my daughter's nursery now um but so, you know, I think it is, you know, it is just a challenge. And you know, I think any working mom kind of goes through this, whether you work in, you know, finance or law, or you're a doctor, you know, you kind of just have to, you figure out what works for you as a family. You know, I think I'm really lucky. My husband also works in journalism. He's an editor at the Denver Post. And so, you know, he really gets it. He gets like the weird hours and, um, but it just, it's, it doesn't get easier. I think is what I'm finding. My daughter's three now. And, you know, as hard as it was to start traveling when she was, three months old, it's just as hard now um, because now it's coordinating, you know, ballet schedules and swim lesson schedules and, you know, overnights at grandma's house. And then the other grandma is going to come and spend the night this night. So it's just a lot of juggling. And then I think the, the thing that's getting hard now is that she knows when I'm gone. And, you know, I was, I was gone for a week. Uh, I did two, two week long training camp trips where I tried to see as many teams as I could in August. And she got sick while I was gone. And it was so awful to FaceTime and just watch her crying and crying for me and knowing that I couldn't, there wasn't much I could do. And so, um, you know, big thank you to our editor, Lisa Wilson, who totally was understanding when I changed my flight to go home early, um, from my second trip so that I could at least be home for one, one extra night when my, when my little girl was sick. So yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, you figure it out. If there's anybody listening who is in the sports journalism business as a woman who is thinking about having kids is pregnant, please reach out to me. I have all of the uh, handy kind of hacks for you know pumping the press box and dealing with all this stuff. So, you know, I like to be kind of open and transparent about it just because I didn't see it a lot when I was younger. And I hope that it helps other women who are in this business that are doing it. So um, it's, but it's fun. And now it's fun because she's getting into it. Like she's so cute. I tweeted about this like last summer and I hope, I hope a lot of you guys saw it. She, um, she knows that I write about football. And so she, when she pretends to be a mommy, she goes and gets a notebook and says she's going to write things about football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took her to a, a Broncos training camp practice and she brought her little notebook and said she was writing <laughs> things about football. And it was like one of the, one of my like favorite memories and favorite pictures of her. So, um, that's what so she's not going to go as a sports writer for Halloween. Although that would be super easy. <laughs> Because all I'd have to do would like give her a little press credential and um, and a notebook, but um, right now she really wants to be a witch. Okay, which right. um, it's it's a little. Uh, I- it's a little odd, um, but she's gotten really into, there's all sorts of like little kid YouTube videos about Halloween. So it's basically like, instead of five little monkeys, it's five little monsters and all these sorts of things. And so she's seen all these little witches and just decided she wants to be a witch. That works. So classic. We'll, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And if she does that, then that means that I can barely, very easily dress up as like a cat with like black leggings, a black shirt and like whiskers on my face Yeah, to be like coordinating costumes. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the cutest costume she could have picked, but we're going to take her to the costume store this weekend and let her pick. So um, I will share some pictures 
um, from Halloween if anybody is interested in a couple weeks um, of my little witch. I'm very interested. And I also remember you saying <laughs> that she was like throwing, wasn't she like throwing flags during the first week of the NFL season or made some kind of joke about all the flags on the field because they're <laughs> well, yeah, because she kept asking like, what are they doing? And, you know, it was just like all in all of these stoppages of play. And I said, oh, well, they're breaking the rules. And she said, well, why are they breaking the rules? And I'm like, well, there's too many rules to begin with. And, you know, it is kind of fun when you to, to try to explain these complicated things in a way that a three-year-old will understand. It makes you realize kind of how ridiculous some of the stuff that goes on in the NFL is because, um, yeah, she thought that there were too many flags. She wants to see more action. And if you have the attention span of a mosquito like a three-year-old does, <laughs> these games are just unwatchable because there's so many penalties. There's no flow. She's got great insight. And we got to have her on the podcast next time to uh, talk about officiating problems. Um Okay, well, this has been a lot of fun, Lindsay. Thank you, as always, for uh, coming on again, or coming on to this one for the first time, I guess, though I'm just so used to podcasting with you. Um, are you going to be watching the Cardinals tonight? I know you have a St. Louis household. Uh, yeah, I think I believe it's an afternoon oh, game. Yeah. Oh, it's um, an afternoon game there, yeah. I was thinking in New York time. So, yes, yes, we'll be watching the St. Louis Cardinals. My daughter loves baseball. She gets it better than football right now, and she loves Yadier Molina. So hopefully it'll be a, a good, happy sports day um, in, in our family. We'll, we'll see. Um, and then we'll, we'll probably watch a little bit of the Thursday night game tonight. But like I've mentioned, she has the attention span for about five minutes of it. And that's probably that's, all she ne- really needs to watch of the Giants. Yeah, I feel Berkeley like that's a, longer, that's a longer attention span than most people have for the Thursday night games. So she's really doing great there. Um, Okay. So thank you, Lindsay, for coming on. Lindsay and I will be back uh, later this week with a bonus Power Rankings podcast. We'll be back next week with a normal Power Rankings podcast. And I'll be back a week from now at the mailroom with Dane Brugler, who's going to talk about some draft stuff because we are already uh, going into week six. And a lot of people in Miami and Washington are thinking about the draft. So we're going to be talking to him about that next week. Thanks, as always, for listening. And thanks to Lindsay for coming coming up. See you guys next week.